going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of James. We're in chapter 1. Uh, we'll begin in verse uh, 12. And while you're turning there, I just want to remind you that uh, we have been talking so far about um, trials. And it's not like that's foreign to any of us now, but we have been experiencing and uh, struggling with and through trials. And the, the Bible says if we um, consider all joy, we'll become steadfast. And if steadfastness has its perfect work, we can be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. But if we do ask, lack uh, wisdom, if we can't figure out how that's going to work in our lives, let's ask in faith, uh, being faithful to the Lord, uh, asking full of faith, and he will grant us wisdom, and he's happy to do that. And I, I say all of that because I want you to be wise. Last week, uh, I, ta I talked about wisdom having three uh, aspects or facets. Uh, it is practical. In other words, you make good decisions, you, you know how life works, and you work with it. Uh, it is ethical. If you are a wise person, you are ethically a good person also. There are not bad people who are wise. And then the third one is theological in nature. Wisdom is theological. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so I, I say that because today we're going we're gonna to find a text that helps us not fall in the ditch when it comes to the theological aspect of wisdom. Because I believe that one of the, the most gloriously helpful things that you can believe about um, your trials is that they have been sifted through the hands of God. That God is sovereign over your trials. That he loves you and wants your best and he's sovereign over that. But, when we start thinking about God um, being involved somehow in our suffering, in the things that hurt us, it's very easy for us to um, it's very easy for us to, to begin to think that God doesn't like us. That God is against us. That's why my life is so hard, because God is against me, you see. And we begin to, we want to be theological in this. We want to think about how does God involved in this, but we can overthink it. In fact, I have probably been guilty of over-preaching it sometimes. Because I so much think there's comfort in you knowing that God is involved, and God is there with you. And even as Job says, can't, should we receive good from the hand of the Lord and not evil? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want you to, to have that kind of perspective, but it's, it can be oversold. And this text is one that helps us stay out of the ditch when it comes to that. So let's, let's read uh, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire. Then, or desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And so here we have James wrapping up his, um, his conversation or the, this part of his letter where he's talking about trials. And he begins in verse 12 by, <laughs> in an odd way, right? He's talking about trials, clearly. And he says, the person who has trials, if they remain steadfast, is blessed. It is the blessing of God on your life that it's not completely easy. Imagine that. You're blessed when you remain steadfast. It's the same word that we ran into in verses, uh, verse 3, and uh, it's the same thing is supposed to have its perfect work in us, this steadfastness or this remaining under. The literal translation of the, the, the word for um, steadfast is under and remain. And so it's a compound word, and you remain under this trial. When you remain under this trial in faith, you're blessed by the Lord. It is a, his gift to you. Wow. For when he has stood the test, and see, again, in verse 3, when the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There is a testing element to this, not because uh, God doesn't know how you'll do, as though there's a test and he's just going to see how you do on the test, whether you get it at 84% or what. But he really is, it's more, you can think of it as, he's, he's testing the tensile strength of your faith, to, to, to check the soundness of it and the strength of it, and he wants it to become stronger by this test. Remain steadfast under trial for when he stood the test. And there is the, you know, you think about that, and you, you just look at the things you've been through this past week, the decisions you've had to make, the things that have been hard. They're trials and they're tests for sure. I think about this, you have to forgive me, like the Princess Bride. Because you, you, you remember there's that scene where he gets uh, strapped to this machine. Wesley gets strapped to the machine. And the machine has a dial. And every, di every, every time that dial clicks, it takes a year off his life. And then Prince Humperdinck comes in and wheels it into 50. And the six-fingered man says, no, not 50. You know, I, I have literally been in trials with other people, this is honest truth, and I have envisioned that machine, thinking, this is taking a year off my life, at least. This might be a two-click, 
you know, trial. Right? And so we think, in some respect, that's how we feel when we're in trials, isn't it? Like, our life is just eroding in this awful mess, and it's like, ah, oh, I hate this. But I want you to see what he does with the trials. Look at that. When he stood the test, he received the crown of life. It feels like, in the trial, like it's working death in you. Like it's taking away, sucking the life out of you, doesn't it? But when you remain steadfast, the promise that you have from God is that he will grant you life. Life. What actually is being produced in your trial is the opposite of that machine. There might be clicks, click, click. Takes the years off, it feels like. But the Lord promises life. And this is a, I mean, there is no question about it. That Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He didn't say we'd have it easily, but we'd have it abundantly. And he promises us eternal life. And this crown, this, this wonderful, sparkling, shining experience that is coming our way from the Lord is life. See, right there, some of us just need to stop and say, Lord, I, I don't see the life in this. This is killing me. But, yes, this is killing me. But hang in there, be steadfast, because the Lord promises the crown of life. He says, he prom- which God has promised to those who love him. Now, I don't, again, I'm t- I tend to read over this real fast and throw away some of these words that just don't maybe fit like the way I think they ought to fit. The Lord has promised to those who love him. I think it should read, the Lord has promised to those who trust him. Because we just talked about faith, right? We just talked about pray in faith, nothing wavering. And the Lord will give it to you. We just talked about faith. But here he throws in love. What has love got to do with it? What does love, how does love fit with this trial? Well, I want to suggest to you that, that love and faith go together. First, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says, Whom not seeing you love, whom not seeing now you believe in him and are filled with joy inexpressible and full of glory. See, the, the New Testament writers understand something different, again, than we do. We think faith is that mental assent that's saying, oh yes, I agree with that. Faith is not that. We talked about it a couple weeks ago as faith uh, being like a, a wedding ceremony where, or, or a marriage where I'm faithful in that. And here he, talk, he uses the word uh, love. So the, the, the picture that I hope you'll get of faith, what it means to trust God, is that you will be faithful to him, that you will love him, that there will be an affection that drives your action to believe and to live completely for him. Because that's what he's talking about here. God's promised that to those who love him. And 
And I think that that's really what is being tested, isn't it? When you have trial. Do I love God or do I love those things that are being taken away more? Do I love God more than uh, I hate the pain? And what's being tested is your love. And so what we have here, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God's promised to those who love him. What a, what a glorious reason, see, to hang in there. <laughs> the glorious reason to hang in there. There's life coming. There is life coming. And every pang is a reminder that if you remain steadfast, the Lord is bringing life. And so you love him for that. And so that's one of the reasons that we hang in there. You count it all joy because there's life coming. You, you trust him and you attempt to be wise because there's life coming. That's how this connects to the previous verses. And then he wants to, he wants to handle an objection. This is the objection I think that this whole section is about. It's the one I mentioned already. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. See, it was very easy, again, to oversell this and say it's God's fault. I mean, God's trying to destroy me. God's trying to hurt me. And God isn't trying to hurt you. One of the one of the things that's very interesting in this text is this word tempt is the same word as trial in the Greek language. And so the, when you hit trial or you hit tempt here, um, you have to say, which is it? Is it a trial or is it a temptation? And what you'll find is that James, James recognized that question. He brings it up and he wants to talk about it. A trial is a morally neutral experience that's unpleasant, okay? That morally neutral experience that's unpleasant is an occasion for you to be steadfast or it's an occasion for you to be tempted. And God intends those when he, when, when he sifts them through his fingers, when his, he is there with you in them, he intends them to be you know, maybe unpleasant, but a testing of your faith. He, he expects you and, and wants you to succeed through them. He wants to bring life. So when you're thinking, ah, God's against me, God's not against you. He's not after your failure. He is after your success. No one should say, I'm being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God's nature is such that he, he's not tempted by evil, not tempted to do evil. And because God's nature is apart from evil, and we'll see soon that his nature is such that he can't change, so if he was ever against evil, he's still against evil. And he's not going to bring it into your life. So he doesn't tempt you. Now, when you say that, it's very easy again to slip and say, okay, well, God brings me, you know, he, God allows this trial in my life, and then Satan tempts me. And then along comes, you know, something outside of me 
to hurt me, but that's not what he says. He wants to make sure you know where this comes from. Each person is tempted. So this trial of yours, this difficulty of yours, becomes temptation when you're lured away and enticed by your own desire. This is, uh, this is hunting and fishing language. This is language of luring um, an animal in and teasing them away from where they would normally be so that they fall into your trap. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. I mean, some of you know how I hate squirrels. How I hate the 20 or 30 squirrels that are in my yard during walnut season. And in the, this is very interesting because this happens to me. There are times in the year when I can put um, just a couple nuts on a, on a live trap and I'll get a squirrel every time because I lure them and entice them and they, they go for it, right? And then there are other times of the year, times they really bother me the most, where it doesn't matter if I put an ice cream cone in that cage, they've got walnuts all over the tree and they're not interested. I can't lure them away. And what we're trying, what, what you need to understand is that that's the way sin works. Sin works with this luring and enticing by trying to get you to go in that little cage and nibble and bam, the door closes. And you're surprised. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death, and there is this, this cycle that doesn't... There's several things you need to see about this. There is, there is a cycle. Sin does not happen all at once. Desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin when it's fully formed brings forth death. There is, there is this desire... And then there's this sin, and then there's death. There is a, there is a process to this. No one, no one has an, uh, a life-destroying you know, sin instantaneously. There is always a slow erosion, this temptation, this desire that says, go into the trap, go into the trap, go into the trap, until we give way. And notice... Who's responsible here? He doesn't say, he, well, he explicitly says God didn't do it. And then he, devil didn't make you do it. Who made you do it? Yeah. Each person is tempted when he or she is lured or enticed by their own desires. You make you do it. That's where the responsibility for sin lies. And that's where, that, that's what you need to notice. Oh, I do think I do think Satan Satan knows this cycle. Satan knows the way this works. He's all about getting you to, to enter that trap, saying, "Oh, that's going to be really good." And you you may hear some additional help, but it is your desire. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's another person makes you lose your cool, right? Maybe somebody else makes you mad. Maybe somebody else. You know what? They might push your buttons. But what James says is they're your buttons. Okay? You, need, you need to protect those buttons. 
You need to be careful of those desires because those are the things that are going to destroy you. It's very... (laughs) The other thing that I really like about this, I mean, my image then is that maybe, or if you want to have your image, maybe your image is a castle or a walled city, right? And you're going to defend it with some sort of plan and fortress and you think that outside... Here comes Satan with his battering ram, and here come the archers. They're going to shoot over the wall, and they're going to do it to try and light stuff on fire, and there's going to be this big battle for your heart to keep you from sinning. And the reality is there is, a, there is an enemy within the walls. There is a spy inside who's giving the enemy secrets. The place where sin is born is in your heart. And so all of us need to be so serious on guard. I, I just am pretty sure that I don't understand my own heart here. That I don't really take enough time to see how my heart draws me into sin. I, I just like, whoops. I fall into sin and I think, oh, that was a terrible accident. I'm sure that'll never happen again. And then until it does, right? And then it happens again. And I think we need to become students, first of all, of God's Word, which we're doing this morning. But then, I think this tells it, be, be a student of your own heart. Notice. Notice what it is that gets you fired up. Notice what it is that draws you into lust. Know what it is that causes you to want another drink. Know what it is Because it's you. It's in here. And we have to be on guard for the enemy inside the gates. That's where sin comes from, see? So when I have a crushing trial, (laughs) I have no business, you know, waving my finger at God, being angry with God, shaking my fist. I have to look in the mirror and say, you're the one that's taking this trial and making a hash of it. You're the one turning it in to something that will destroy your soul. And that's part of his warning, part of what he wants us to see, that God's not against you when you have trials. God's liberal and generous with his wisdom. God's not against you in this. You end up being against yourself, so be on Guard. And then he goes farther to make sure that you understand this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. I'm just going to stop right there because I want you to notice that this crown of life is coming to those who love God and now are being addressed as loved by God. So God's, again, God's not against you in this. God addresses you as those He loves. Do not be deceived, beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Oh, oh, this is so sweet. Isn't this just the sweetest verse ever? 
Why, why do I deceive myself? I think that's the point, right? I deceive myself in talking God down when I'm having a hard time. And he says, no, God doesn't change. God is still good. One of the great themes throughout the Old Testament is that God is good and His steadfast love endures forever. God is good and every good gift and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. And He's not going to change in that. Oh, the goodness of God when you are in trial, when things are hard, is the sweetest thing you can hang on to. <laughs> this was really pivotal for me early on in my Christian faith. This is really pivotal for me this very morning. So if you'll indulge me, I have two stories. Early on, I, when, I was, when I was a young man, I wanted more than anything to be a state championship uh, wrestler. And uh, I had a successful career, wrestled internationally some, and ended up third in the state tournament and was devastated with third place finish because that's not what I wanted. And I, I was a believer. I knew the Lord, loved the Lord, and had to do business with him about that. And I'd heard that the, the thing you're supposed to do when you're like upset with the Lord or when things go badly is to read the Psalms. Right? So I somehow, somewhere picked up that. So I started reading the Psalms, <laughs> one at a time, right? And I got all the way to Psalm 84 <laughs> before anything like really clicked for me. And in Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, No good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. No good thing. And it dawned on me. What I perceived to be such an important and good thing for me wouldn't have been good for me at all. And by his grace, he kept me from getting something that wasn't good because he's not going to withhold anything good. So it's a flip side of this. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And he's not going to withhold something that's good. And you've got to believe, especially when times are hard, that God is good. So, Told you that that was early on, and that just that just kind of kept me in the faith, frankly. <laughs> and then this morning, this morning, some of you know I was uh, out of town this week and uh, at a camp, and so I mean the sun didn't come up that early, and so I turned off my alarm. Well, I run the same alarm uh, Sunday through Friday, and so I set an alarm Friday because I had an eight o'clock Zoom call, so I set an alarm. But I didn't realize I set a different alarm that it was only going to go off one day. And so this morning I'm in bed, my eyes are closed, and <gasps> I, started to, I thought it was getting light out. It wasn't, but I thought, <gasps> if, I, if I slept in, I am doomed. I mean, I started church late already as it is. And I thought, oh, I'm late. And I looked at my watch, and it was one minute before my alarm would have gone off and it didn't go off. And I just had to say, you know what? I, I want the whole church to know the Lord loves me. <laughs> the Lord didn't want me to be embarrassed by not being here. <laughs> Everybody else was here. And the Lord loves his church. He, did, you know, he didn't mind if you're a couple minutes late, but he didn't want you to miss the whole thing. The Lord loves 
me. And he's good, and every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And, the, and there's no variation or, or shadow due to change. Sometimes we take this, build a doctrine of, that says God can't change, like the Old Testament God is the same as the New Testament God, same as God now, and that's true. But what this tells us is not, that's not so much in view here. What's in view is he intends good from your trial. He intends to bring life from your trial. He's going to bring good and perfect gifts in the midst of your trial. And he's not going to change that. That's not going to go away. He's not going to be finicky and say, yes, I'm going to bring Scott good by waking him up one minute before his alarm would go off, but I'm going to be bad to everybody else. He's going to go ahead and be good, you see. It's what a, what a great reminder. Something that keeps me from blaming God or being mad at God in the midst of this trial. Every good and perfect gift comes down from him. And then, and then he caps it all off here. Oh my goodness. And says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And where James goes with this, James goes straight to reminding you of your salvation, of, what, of how you became born again, to use James's brother's words, right? He brought you forth. In fact, it's the same word. It's the same word that, that, that sin brings forth death back a couple of verses ago. Now, God brings forth life, eternal life, he brings you forth. And it tells us what the means of that bringing forth is. He brings us forth by the word of truth. I mean, I, I've known people get saved. You know, saved, that's what we call it, right? Saved. They get, they're born again. I've known people get, who have become born again because of drug overdoses and car accidents. I've known non-believing people introduce other people to Jesus and they're gloriously saved? And I scratch my head and I say, what? how do all these things fit together? They fit together right here. Because in all of those, even the people I know who had dreams and then have come to faith in Christ, they all end up being brought forth by the word of truth. They have to have God's word to be saved. Of his own will, he brought them forth by the word of truth. Now, the other thing that you have to notice here, it's just too, it's too precious and too beautiful to skip over. It says that God of his own will. Of his own will. It was God's will to bring you forth. Now, it might have looked to you like it was your will. It might have looked to you like, say, what shall I do? I'm going to trust Christ right now. That's fine. But you need to know that underneath that, the driving force is that God wanted you to be born again. He brought you forth. It was His design. It was His work. He is the one that saw it all the way through. And he even brought you here this morning. Of his own will, he brought you forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The first fruits of his creature. That sounds really strange, doesn't it? First fruits 
of his creatures. And I think what he has in view here is that when you are born again, you are born into a new creation. You are born into a new sphere of living that will culminate one day in being in the presence of God eternally. But you have that new creation right now. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. There is a new creation here. And you step into that when Christ brings you forth. He brings you into this new life, which is ours because of Christ. And so there's just a ton of just theological gems here. Just all you have to do is just slow down and pick them up. Because there's, there is this, this glorious and future hope that right now, when you are born again, you become the, some of the first manifestations of what you will enjoy all throughout your eternity because you have God. And He is good. And you will be in His presence forevermore. And there is a glorious eternity that awaits you. And that eternity begins when you trust Christ. He brought us forth by the word of truth. See, that's of all of the good gifts that come down from above, that's number one. That's the best gift here that He gives you. He gives you His Son. He gives you His Son at a cost, great cost to Himself so that you might be, you might become His child. And when your life is easy and when your life is hard, He is still a good God and He doesn't change in that. He still promises you life. He still warns you that your <laughs> the greatest enemy is inside the citadel and that your own desires are the things that you need to examine and, and uh, bring um, to death so that you then are free from that cycle of desire, sin, death. And instead have this faith or love for God where He brings you forth by His will and through the word of His, power, of His truth, and then you get this life that is yours now and eternally. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I want to just ask you that if there is anyone here in uh, earshot of these words, would you be gracious to them? Would you help them to believe, to, to, to love you, to realize this is exactly what I want. I want someone with me in my trials. I want life and not death. I want good. Father, would you, would you draw them, just, just like this says, draw them by the word of your truth. Father, would you help all of us to have faith not just initially, for us to say, yes, I'm a believer, but grant us the faith and the love, the response of faithfulness to you that we might uh, just live in such a sweet relationship with you that we're happy to be yours, happy to anticipate eternity with you, even happy to go through trials knowing that from these trials you will bring life. So, Father, we thank you and we we believe you now for your help in remaining steadfast. I ask this in the name of the one who did remain steadfast.
all the way to the end that we might become part of your family. And I thank you for Jesus. Amen.